Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. If you are waiting to be dismissed for Mosaic Kids, uh, you can go ahead and exit down the center aisle. Miss Antonia is back there waving her hand. And yeah, blessings to our kids as they go out. Um, bye, Sawyer. I love you. Um, it's a good day uh, in the life of the church as we gather to worship, as we gather to affirm what we believe and celebrate all God has done in the gospel. And um, I just, is that, is that me? My whiskers are attacking the microphone. But it's a good day to be a part of Mosaic because we love to worship. Cool. Thank you, Stephen. Brian, you told me it was okay. <laughs> well, um, like I was saying, it's great to be together. And I, I, I don't say that just because I, I get to preach a sermon. I say that because it is great to be with God's people and to meet new babies and to hear how people have been living and struggling and loving one another and their neighbors. And so uh, if you're visiting with us, we're really glad that you're here. Um, my name is John, and I'm, I serve as one of the pastors here and work primarily with groups in a, a class called Passage, uh, trying to advocate for emotional health and helping people process pain and trauma in their life. Um, but we're in a series in the book of Romans, and we've been in this series for a bit. We've taken some breaks, but this semester we've just paused not pause, we've slowed down to really drink in all of Romans 5. And we've been in Romans 5 this entire semester. And I want to recap Romans 5 and then bring us to our passage today. Romans 5 begins with this. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has been teaching on justification by faith, that by faith, a sinner is declared righteous before God because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, and this offers peace with God. This is, gives us peace with God, which is a reconciled, renewed relationship with God. We are at war with God, enmity with God, and because of what Jesus has done, we affirm by faith and are declared righteous before God. But this also offers us hope in a broken world. It gives us hope amidst suffering. Some of you might be here today singing the songs and reading some of the truths like God is good, reading a confession, and in the midst of severe suffering, maybe have feelings that you don't know what to do with. And what the Bible is helping us understand is you have a hope, and that helps as you navigate life in a broken, distorted world. But if that is kind of the beginning of Romans 5, focused on the believer and what is given to the believer in the gospel, Paul takes a turn in verse 6 to focus on what Jesus has done, Christ's work. And he says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the weak, for the enemies. And we learn about this historical reality that our faith doesn't hang on our subjective feelings, though those are important, our faith hangs on the historical reality that there was a man who claimed to be God and went to the cross and was raised from the dead. 
that there is a historical reality happening in the Christian life, the Christian story. And then in Romans 5.12, Paul says this, Just as sin came into the world through Adam and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. He's been teaching a lot on the realities of sin, the corruption of the creation, and the way that all are sinners. All must respond to God's righteous judgment. But in Romans 5, he connects that to what happened in the garden. He connects it to Adam's sin and talks about how when Adam sinned, he introduced the reign of death. And I don't need to convince you of the reign of death. You feel it. You know it. You see it on your smartphone. You watch it on the news. That there is a work, at, there is something at work in the world, a power at work in the world that is not good, that is evil. And then we find ourselves in our passage this morning, verses 15 to 17. And Paul has just talked about the significance of Adam's sin. And he's going to move now to compare Adam to Jesus. And the reason he does that is because at the end of verse 14, he uses the word type. He says, Adam was a type of Christ. And what is important about that word is to recognize there is a similarity. He's saying, hey, there is a similarity. Jesus and Adam are both serving as representatives for humanity, but there is radical dissimilarity. Adam is just a type. He's not the real Jesus. And in 15, 16, and 17, Paul is making a sharp contrast to the fruit of Adam's sin and the fruit of Jesus' obedience. And so I want to read it again for us and invite the Spirit to open us up to God's word to us this morning. And at the end, I'll, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and I would invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. And this is a way at Mosaic, every week we confirm that God has not left us in silence that he has given us wisdom and light and truth to live in, in his word. Romans 5, verses 15 to 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God for help. God, we pause right here as an affirmation and a demonstration that we need you. Uh, I've studied, I've reflected, I've written and rewritten and rehearsed, and I- I'm given all I got. But it's not enough. We need you, God, to fill this room with the person of your spirit. 
And so we ask that you would fill us with the Spirit, fill this room, fill our minds, fill our hearts with your personal presence and your power in the Holy Spirit. Give us a a sensitivity to what he might be up to as he recalls memories to our minds, as he recalls problems that we're facing Monday to Saturday. God, help us connect what is here in Romans 5 to our life lived in the city of Richardson. Meet us here, God, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So two Christmases ago, um, my wife and I decided to buy our kids a dome jungle gym. I don't know if you've seen these, but it was this dome jungle gym. It's got lots of bars, and they can crawl all over it. They can go inside. At a certain point, I I set up a swing, a little rope swing in the middle, so they can go in the middle and and swing and usually deck each other and hit each other as they swing. There's a big two-by-four on the bottom. Um, But I, I didn't know how involved putting this thing together was going to be. Holy smokes. They should have given a warning label uh, when you order that thing because you have to put it together in sections. And as you put it together, you have to take it apart to put the pieces together. And so it's this process of putting it together, taking it apart, putting it together, taking it apart. And, and I'm just scratching my head like, what did, we, what did I do to myself here? And it was great. The kids were surprised. We, we set up this whole, like, ribbon that was attached to the jungle gym. They loved it. It was great. But my wife was reminding me that Christmas Eve was miserable. That Christmas Eve, we, I think we had cinnamon rolls for dinner, which is awesome, uh, but we really kind of shot ourselves in the foot because there were sugar crashes, there was irritability, people were tired, and we were all in our Christmas pajamas taking photos, and my wife's like, I can tell on my face how frustrated I was. But even though we thought, I don't know if I'm feeling that generous on Christmas morning, we gave the gifts that we had prepared because we had decided to do that. There was intention, there was planning in the gift that we were giving. And it was a cost. I think I was up till like two or three in the morning. But this story illustrates something that I think is getting at what Paul is saying in Romans 5. And it's this, that a real gift is not earned. A real gift is given. A gift is not earned. A gift is given by the giver. And the gift that Paul is talking about in this passage is the gift of Jesus and his righteousness. And it changes everything. But it's not earned. It's given. And this gift is more than you could ever imagine. If I could paraphrase, verse 15 says this. If many died because of Adam's sin, how much more? will grace multiply for those who receive the gift of Jesus. Paul's beginning this contrast between Adam's sin and Jesus' obedience. Adam is a type of Christ. And one way you could think about a type is like a stamp that you mint a coin with. There's an image on the coin. 
It represents someone, but it's nothing like the real thing. Adam is a type of Christ. If Adam's, essentially what Paul is saying here is that if Adam's sin caused, caused many to die, how much more? If the representation of Jesus, if his representation, not the real thing, had as much power to cause death to cover all of humanity and corrupt all of creation, if Adam had that much power, how much more? How much more will the grace of God multiply and abound in the life of a Christian? It's an astonishing claim. It's the magnitude of it is unbelievable. Paul has taught a lot, and we know the pervasiveness of sin, that sin corrupts everything. It corrupts the way we think. It corrupts the way we feel. It corrupts the way we make decisions. It corrupts the way we treat one another. It corrupts our society, our systems. Everything is broken. But ultimately, sin corrupts humanity's relationship with God. The source of the corruption is this break and tear between God and humanity. What was perfect fellowship and uh, beauty and acceptance and wonder became separation, alienation, enmity because of sin. And what Paul is saying is how much more? How much more does God have for you? Adam's sin corrupted everything. It was per pervasive. It, the fruit of it just keeps giving and giving and giving. And what Paul says is what you need to understand is God has so much more for you in his grace. The, the, this power of sin to corrupt the world is nothing compared to the grace of God to redeem it. That the grace of God, when it invades a human heart, has the power to totally reverse everything about you. It has the power to sneak into every nook and cranny of your life. How you think, how you feel, how you think about yourself, how you think about others, how you relate to God. That grace keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. It is abundant. It is more. It multiplies. And so what, what this means for you, I, I don't know how you walked in here. I don't know if you walked in with this low-grade guilt over something that happened this morning or this weekend. I don't know if you live in a cloud of shame, if you live in a cloud of confusion and be like, Where did my, how did my life get here? What you need to hear is there's grace for you right now. That the grace of God is pouring out over his people. If you have entrusted your life to Jesus, if you have affirmed Christ's sacrifice is sufficient 
and I give my life to him and I want to serve him in all of life, what God is saying is that there is a never-ending supply of grace for you. How much more? How much more grace do you want? How much more grace do you need? How much more patience will God give you? How much more generosity and kindness will God offer to you? You you cannot exhaust it. Every week you walk in here, there's grace upon grace upon grace. When you hurt someone with your words, there's grace. When you do something hidden that no one else sees that is disgusting and wrong, there's grace. When you just are filled with apathy and you just, you just turn a blind eye to something that you are called to and needing to, to address, there's grace. This is wonderful. Because you will never take a step in your life without being met by grace from God in the person and work of Jesus. And this feeds our soul. This gift is more than you can ever imagine. But this gift also changes the trajectory of your life. Because this gift gives you a new verdict. The verdict was condemnation. But this new verdict in the gift of grace is justification. You were condemned, but now you have been justified. Paul says this in verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Paul's, he's developing this contrast further to talk about the results. Okay, so Adam had a big impact on humanity and allowing death to reign. Jesus' work, his obedience has results and an impact on humanity. And he says the impact is it changes the verdict. From condemnation to justification. Condemnation is rejection, disapproval, judgment. It is alienation, and it creates this enmity between God and humanity. This is the verdict of Adam's sin. This is the verdict that we are born into, that we are rejected and disapproved of by God because we have a sin problem. This is what the book of Romans has been helping us understand, and it's not it's not fun. It's not easy to hear this. We, we talk about it in the church. If you've grown up in church, we, we talk about it so flippantly. Like it's just, like, why doesn't everyone believe this? Because it's heavy. Paul teaches that all have sinned. And what that means is the righteous judgment and wrath of God is over them by this verdict of condemnation. That everyone Religious and irreligious must respond to the judgment of God. And our response in the church is Jesus. The response we're inviting the world to affirm is Jesus. 
Because Jesus is the only one who can heal us. He's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can deal with our problem. And he does that through his sacrifice and his resurrection. And he grants us a new verdict. As we trust in his work, we are given a new verdict. And that verdict is justification. And this is being declared righteous, but it's even more. It's acceptance and approval of God. It's God affirming, yes, I affirm, I validate Jesus' sacrifice for you. And there's an acceptance and an approval. It's the verdict of righteousness for the unrighteous because of Jesus' obedience. But I, I, want, I want you to notice something in this verse. It really gets to the heart of the contrast that Paul is trying to make. He says, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. This really highlights the contrast in verse 6, that this verdict of condemnation, it occurred based on one person's foolish mistake, one person's act of rebellion corrupted all of creation. But the free gift is different. The gift of Jesus is different because the gift of Jesus and grace, the grace of God, is given after many trespasses. It's given in the face of many trespasses. When Christ died for the ungodly, Christ died for the enemies. This is so significant for us who are trying to live out our faith. And what it represents is this contrast between Adam's foolish mistake and the intentionality of God. The intention of God to act generously and graciously to overcome all of humanity's sin. It's like a a domino situation. You ever have like the dominoes all laid out? And Adam's sin is like that first domino that falls and it causes all of them to fall. And Jesus is at the other end, and he's looking at all the fallen dominoes. He's looking at all of the ways that we have offended God, that we hate God, that we mistreat God and destroy his creation. And it's in that context that God says, I want you to die. I want you to die for sinners. I want you to die to make a way for these fallen dominoes to be lifted up and restored to their purpose, to their hope, to their relationship with me so they can enjoy love and fellowship, mercy, hope, life, and life to the fullest. Some of you feel like you can exhaust the grace of God. Some of you feel like there's a limit, and if, if, you, if you exhaust it in a week, you've got to beat yourself up. Some of you feel like there are things that you have done 
deep down, if we're honest, we stuff down these thoughts, but deep down, you, you, you think or you wonder, does the grace of God really cover that? Maybe you're stuck in pornography. And there's this cycle of engaging pornography and walking in tremendous guilt and shame. And you, you have moments where you feel freedom. But then the vicious cycle of sexual addiction pulls you back down and says, look, you're not that great. There's no way God loves you. What does God offer you in those moments? Grace. He offers you grace. Maybe you did something with an unwanted pregnancy. Nobody knows, but you did something, and every year it haunts you. And you wonder, in the back of your mind and in your heart, you wonder, does God really forgive that? Is that the unforgivable sin? And maybe you have all this evidence to support your theory that you, you might not be forgiven for that. And I'm here to tell you, the Bible is telling you, you cannot exhaust the grace of God. You can't. Maybe you have sexual desires that you know are wrong and, and you don't know what to do with it and you, you feel isolated and you feel frustrated and, and you stuff them down, but then they come back up. Grace. How much more? How much more grace does God have for you? The answer for you is it never ends. We cannot comprehend of the magnitude of the surplus of grace God has for us in heaven. And he just like, give me a chance. I'm going to dump it all on, on you. But we don't, we don't, we don't want grace sometimes, Right? We don't want grace because we, we want to base our relationship with God on achievement. But this gift is not earned. It's given. It's offered in the gift of Jesus Christ. And boy, does it change the trajectory of your life. If you really sit in it, learn how to receive it every day, it can totally radically change your life. Because what was wrong with you has been made right in Jesus. What was broken and distorted in you has been alleviated in Jesus. And there's working out of that. But the more we give ourselves to grace and the more that we remind and anchor our lives in the cross and the resurrection and seek the spirit of God, our trajectory is altogether different. God will take you places that you, you couldn't even dream of. But this gift also gives a new purpose. So this gift is greater than you could ever imagine. This gift changes the trajectory of your life, but it gives you a new purpose. There is a responsibility that comes with this gift. And we see this in verse 17, which paraphrased is something like this. If Adam's sin ushered in the reign of death, how much more 
will those who receive Jesus and his righteousness reign in life. Adam and Eve, they were always meant to reign. God created the world and he created this beautiful garden. It was perfect. It was flawless. It was filled with good food. It was filled with the best weather in the world. It was filled with perfection. And the greatest perfection was God and humanity dwelling together in perfect fellowship. And God gives the man and the woman a role, a calling. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Make a family. Work the land and bless all things. Fill the earth and subdue it. Establish dominion over the earth as a reflection of who I am. As the ultimate ruler and reigner over all things. But Adam fell and ushered in the reign of death. And because of his sin, he surrendered his calling to death and the devil. And God's creation was and is corrupted. And this is exactly what Jesus redeems through his sacrifice. He redeems us as makes us objects of his grace, but then he gives us a responsibility, a calling. So this gift is received and then it's put to work in our life as we take on this new responsibility because Jesus ushers in a new reign. He ushers in a new reign, the reign of life, the reign of joy, the reign of love and abundance. And through Jesus, God's people recover humanity's original calling to reign and to rule and to reflect God's character to the world. And we see this all over our lives as we raise our kids, as we make disciples, have spiritual babies. We reflect God to the world as we correct our children, as we teach them, as we show them what it means to love and to live and to feel deeply. We reflect God to our kids and to the world. As we sip coffee at communion, talk to a barista, Casanova, many of you probably know, as you engage with the barista, you are invited to reflect God to the world, to reflect something of his grace, his compassion, his love, and his delight. As you work, as you play, as you rest, everything of life, we are called to reflect, to reign, to establish dominion and reflect God's goodness, God's character, God's very being to the world. Now, you might be thinking, what's the catch, right? You, you've probably been trained that there's no such thing as a free gift. I don't know if you felt that reading the passage. What's the catch, right? You're telling me I got an endless supply of grace? I have a new verdict over my life, and that could change everything? And I have this new calling? Like, that's a great job to reflect God to the world. It's a lot of responsibility, but you can have fun with that, right? Go fishing with my kids, reflecting the image of God. Drinking a Slurpee 
and enjoying the goodness of a 7-Eleven Slurpee, right? Reflecting the image of God. But what's the catch? The catch is just like any real gift, this gift must be received. This gift must be received. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and where you have significant questions and doubts and are just kind of like, I don't know. That's the invitation is to receive the grace of God for the first time. But if you are God's people, if you have been reborn by the Spirit and are trusting in the work of Jesus, the invitation to you is to receive. But receiving's hard. If we're really honest, receiving's hard because it puts us in a passive role. It humbles us. We prefer the active role, right? Give me, give me some of that believe. Like I, like, I want to believe. I want to trust because I got, some, I got some action to take in that. But receiving puts you in a passive role. And part of what makes this so challenging is because you have been trained to believe the world is ordered by achievements. You have been taught by everything in this world, by commercials, by books, by your own heart, by everyone in relationship with you. You've been trained to believe the world is ordered by achievements. And the truth of the gospel and the truth of Romans 5, 15 to 17 is to say that God's world is ordered differently. God's world is ordered by gifts and they must be received. Receiving a gift, receiving the grace of God is receiving what God has provided on his terms. We lose control over it. A gift cannot be earned. A gift must be given. A gift is to be received. You can't achieve it. And this, this frees us up tremendously. It frees us up because there are those moments in our life where we feel bad about what we've done. or We feel bad about uh, what we didn't do. And we want to, to beat ourselves up. We want to take ourselves out and give ourselves a talking to, a spanking. Why did you do that? And what this reality does is it teaches us that in those moments, grace. The one thing you have to do in those moments is receive the grace of God for your sin and failure. And that's hard. But it's part of living in God's world. We cannot achieve the grace of God. And this gift, it's a process of allowing God to work through us and in us. So go easy on yourself. Did you hear that? Pastor, right up here with the Bible in front of me, encouraging you to go, go easy on yourself. This is God's work. This is part of learning to demonstrate kindness to yourself. And that is connected to the cross. 
living with this new verdict of justification. It means that you live your whole life with access to the Heavenly Father. You have access to God. And so part of receiving the gift is living near to your Father. And the heart of the gospel is that the Father, he's not looking at you like, man, when are you going to figure this out? Come on. Like, get it together. The Father is moving towards you in the gospel. And the Father, on the good days and the bad days, is inviting you to come. Let me embrace you. Let me love you. Let me show you what it means to experience grace when you feel like poop. Right? You know that feeling when you just feel terrible. And what this passage is inviting us to is to live near to the Father, to go easy on ourselves, and to take seriously the responsibility we have as image bearers. And you're not going to do it perfectly. You're going to screw up with your kids. You're going to be mean to the barista. But that's why you need grace. And that's, what, that's how we reflect God to the world, is recognizing, hey, I'm so sorry, Sawyer. I should not have yelled at you like that. And it grieves me to see how scared I made you when I yelled at you. Daddy shouldn't scream like that. Will you forgive me? The demonstration of the grace of God to my six-year-old. That's what we need to reflect. The reign of life is the reign of grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship freely in this room and to gather as your people. We thank you for this unbelievable message of grace. And I just pray that uh, you would send your spirit to meet us, to press things in where we need to be pressed in, to convict us where we need to be convicted, and to come against the lies of the evil one. I pray, Jesus, by your authority and in your name, against the lies that are creeping up even now. He didn't mean you. You're an exception to the grace of God. This isn't going to last. I pray, God, would you equip your people to come against against the truth, to come against the lies of the enemy with the truth of the gospel, that they have been reborn by the Spirit and ha now have authority to take every thought captive. Oh, God, would you, would you meet us? Would you, would you grow us up and teach us and guide us in this life? And we pray in Jesus' name and the power of the Spirit. Amen.